Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast. I'm Jules Hilliard, founder and CEO of SecureBlock Technologies, bringing you the industry's first blockchain operations center, or BOC for short. Monitoring, analytics, security, and validation for all of your chains, nodes, and dApps from one single pane of glass. From developers to enterprise companies, tapping into the many benefits of blockchain, our BOC will optimize your, your DevOps cycle, or Dev Chain Ops as we call it, and expedite your next-gen chains and dApps into production. For more information, please visit our website, secureblocktech.com. And please subscribe, hit that like button, and share this, this podcast with your colleagues to help us in our efforts to stimulate the mass adoption of blockchain technology. Today, we have a big, big topic. We're going for it. We're going all in. Today, we're going to tackle the process of deploying AI and blockchain in today's very complex and global IT infrastructure. And who better to lead us other than Mr. Big Bill McGraw? Bill is the Managing Director at E2D Capital and has been working in the blockchain space since 2016. E2D Capital works with enterprises and entrepreneurs to help companies adopt and maximize blockchain's full potential. One of their portfolio companies, Factor Chain AI, uses AI and machine learning to create micro-risk profiles to deliver credit into the supply chain. Thank you for taking the time today to join us, Bill. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for having me, Jules. Appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. And who better to dive in with Bill and myself, other than my most trusted podcast pioneers, Mr. John Patrick Stewart himself hooks, our resident CAIO. Welcome, John. My pleasure, Jules. All right. And our CISO slash resident DJ and good friend, Mr. Joel Semengen. Thank you for joining us today and bringing us today's cybersecurity chill vibes, Joel. Uh, thanks, Jules. Glad to be here. Thank you. All right, let's uh, let's kick let's get this Bohema topic started. Bill, can you kick us off with a general overview of what it actually means to deploy commercial grade AI and blockchain in today's IT ecosystem? Yeah, it's thanks, Jules, and I appreciate you having me, and um, uh, look forward to talking about this uh, super interesting subject that we've got on the on top today. Um, so I think I start with, um, you know, we're going through a major shift in the way that we uh, think about data. So who owns it? Um, who controls it? Who makes money off it? You know, what, who gets, who's allowed to see it? Um, what can it be used for? Where do we keep it? Who's managing it? And that brings up all of the things around our security. So, you know, we, we I think we want to use that as the framework today with is primarily it's all about the data and you know so if, if we use that as the framework then we talk a little bit more about um i think we're i think we're all familiar with um what fintech the fintech revolution over the past um uh you know decade and, and more uh that's been unbundling a lot of the uh financial services and banking services um, so companies like Robinhood and SoFi and Wealthsimple um, targeted the B2C, but delivering, um, you know, new digital services to consumers. And what we're talking about on this call is more about um, B2B and particularly in the supply chain. So very similar um, technology stack. But done in a, has to be done in a very different way because we're talking about multiple systems and we're talking about integration. So um, and so, if we think about it from the data side of it, you know, we've got primary areas 
of data categories. So things like personal data and health data, you know, there's legal and there's social. Um, but today, you know, let's talk about the financial data and how do we access that and what what does that really, um, you know, what does that really mean to put a system out? So if we're if we're thinking about Factor Chain, who's doing credit into the supply chain, there's really four broad areas that we're going to talk about or that we need to have access to from the financial side. So we need banking data. So that banking data typically could only get that from the banks. But now with open, open banking APIs and things like that, we're now able to access that data. Then we have financial data. So the data that's in your QuickBooks or your simply accounting, we need to have access to that data. We need to be able to pull in and, and understand where the business is at. We have some general credit ranking. And then for Factor Chain, where the area that's most, uh, we think is most unique, but also presents some of its biggest challenges is around operational data. So you can see it on the supply chain from end to end from the, you know, from the what we would call the POS. So, you know, since COVID, we've seen so much more explosion on the e-commerce side. That's we've seen much more, you know, delivery, like it's not even farm to market anymore. Now it's farm to home. And we've we see those um, all of those systems on the on the website, but then the back end system. So your ERP or your transportation or inventory or warehouse management system. So we need access to that data. So if we, we look at it holistically, we need to be able to pull in that data and we need to be able to assess it and manage it. And, and so when we, when we really talk about the areas that are important when you're delivering a system like this, it's access to data, who gets it, do you have enough data? And I don't mean in volume, I mean relevant data. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later um, because you need to be able to fill your, you know, build your models out and, and train your models. And then security, obviously, which brings you into in a B2B, B2B, you start talking about who are your partners. And so we have an identity issue, which brings us into blockchain. And then we start talking about governance. So those four areas are really the primary ones, and I'll stop there and turn it back to you guys to um, add a little bit more to it. No, absolutely, and and, and thank you for that, Bill. And, and if, for those of you that haven't taken a look, I highly recommend you take a look at one of uh, Bill's Ventures Factor Chain. They're doing some very exciting things. John, uh, let's switch gears a little bit, and I know you want to jump in on this. Uh, what should CAIOs look for look out for actually when they deploy machine learning models in their IT ecosystem? Well, Jules, um, as Bill just mentioned, you know, it's all about the data, right? So if you're going to deploy machine learning in your uh, enterprise's IT ecosystem, you'll need to keep three key steps in mind and Bill touched on a couple of these. One is data preparation, uh, development, and deployment. and you know, being a data scientist as well as a CAIO and also a data engineer, it, it all starts with the data. There, there's no machine learning without quality data. And if your data is better than your competitors, you have a competitive edge. So think through what's available to you before even beginning your machine learning initiatives. Uh, consider these. And again, this is... Uh, 
something that Bill uh, talked about before. Is the data accessible? Is it even available? For example, sometimes the data you've collected over time could be out of touch with your recent terms of service. Uh, is it sizable? Do you have enough data? Uh, and again, the amount depends on the scope of the problem and the variability of your predictions. Is the data usable? Even if you've got lots of data, you must be able to use it. You're spitting your wheels if your data is clean. And data scientists and engineers will tell you they spend 95% of their day uh, munging data and cleaning it up before it even goes through the uh, model. Uh, is the data understandable? Meaning, does it have a proper schema or data dictionary uh, that's good enough to have for making rapid use of data? Is the data maintainable? If the hassle for getting the data together is difficult, or you don't even know how the data was put together, it's a huge problem when it comes to production. Jules? Absolutely, Ben. Really good stuff, and I just want to verify uh, was it just my screen that froze up? Did you guys see and hear that okay with John? All right, great. I just wanted to make sure. I uh, I got frozen there. Glad, uh, glad I came through. Okay, I heard you and great information as well. Um, Joel, why don't we uh, take a look, look at this from a security perspective? You know, how does machine learning, you know, relate to an organization's cybersecurity posture? Yeah, Jules, um, the advancement and uh, correction or basically the correct implementation of uh, uh, machine learning in any organization is basically, uh, it, it has a big impact in uh, the organization's ability to strengthen its uh, cybersecurity posture. Um, it's been reported that uh, social engineering like phishing, you know, spam emails, uh, is basically the biggest problems that we're all encountering uh, across the globe and most of the organizations have to deal with. And it's very taxing to uh, an organization. The bad actors are uh, continuing to improve their tactics and messages, you know, to deliver uh, phishing messages, uh, emails, to basically even lure IT folks um, who should be very familiar with uh, identifying on uh, what a suspicious email looks like. Now, with the use of machine learning or ML, an organization can possibly customize an algorithm to study the various types and ways that these uh, suspicious or malicious emails are written. Um, they can create a customized baseline or uh, define basically what's acceptable uh, communication for their organization. And um, within the organization's normal business transactions, they can sift through the traffic and again, establish what's uh, would be considered as a good traffic, right? And then um, this ML can uh, provide uh, a rating that translates for the end users to take so that they'll know if it's either a good or bad um, email or if it's phishing or such. Then the ML is, uh, can basically be incorporated into, uh, or basically they can get a feed from an organization's existing anti-phishing or spam controls, which again will help enhance the organization's um, algorithm that, um, will be used to analyze the emails and then it will eventually establish a more robust and a lower false positive rate for uh, this tool that will bring more value to an organization. Jules? 
No, definitely good stuff. Good stuff. You know, and um, why don't we uh, why don't we drill down a little bit? You know, I think that gave us uh, some really good you know, high level you know information to to think about. Let's drill down on AI, uh, Bill. You know, you mentioned the factor chain, the factor chain credit solution uses AI for risk profiles. What are some of the toughest challenges you face when delivering an AI solution? Well, let, let me go. I, I appreciate the opportunity to go a little bit deeper. And um, John was really outlining on the data side that I'd like to take a, a, you know, a step further into. And one of the things from the E to D's perspective is when we're looking at these um, AI companies and, and services, um, one of the things is how are you going to monetize it? And I think John touched on that with them. You know, the, what's your business model? You know, are you are you just doing something that's adding? Are you doing something that's adding value, or are you just doing something because you can? And I think what we what we see is we we got to look at the value stack. So you've got your technology, you've got your customers, you've got all of this, but you you really need to identify where do you extract value from that stack, and then which is the highest value that you can bring out of that. And and one of the things you need to take a look at is how is the AI and data distributed. So we, we typically, one way to look at it is there's really three broad areas. So one is more general data. So they call that the fat head. So that's the, that's the area where probably 10 to 15% of data um, is, it's the most amount of data you have, but it's, it's general across uh, the, the overall population. We have a middle, which is more chunky, and, and think of the middle as being more like in a B2B, the vertical that you're in. So with, with factor chain, you know, we're, we're looking at the supply chain, which is very general. And then within the vertical, we're looking at FMCG, which is fast moving consumer good. So that's confections, you know, your 7-Eleven and um, uh, Walmart, companies like that. That's, that's your distribution. So those kind of products that move quickly. Um, we, we focus in on artisanal foods and also in craft breweries. And so that, those are, that's a second level of data where you will now have the general data now is getting much more specific. But data that perhaps applies to a craft brewer is not going to apply to an art, artisanal food. So now you're starting to segment that data. And what data, what value can I bring from that? Then the biggest part and the longest or the, or the most, the deepest we go is called long tail. And that can be up to 70% of the data. And what, what you really need to understand is at some point, more data is not better. So at some point, there's diminishing returns because you have infrastructure, you have management, and can I pull out value from that long tail? Now, if you can get insights from that long tail, maybe you can differentiate your service because that's the hardest to get. But you need to think of your stack and you need to think of your data and you need to think, where am I monetizing that? So those are, you know, those are things that when, when we start pulling that data in, you really want to think about the distribution and you want to think about where am I getting that data? So all these other things come into it, but then how am I making money at the end of the day is really what you want to be focused on. And you need to understand where that value is coming out of your, out of your data. Absolutely. And as data continues to increase, you know, getting that proper ROI, as we know, it's very important as we move into the future. It's just more and more data. It's unbelievable. John, talk to us a little bit. How can AI be delivered more effectively? And what are the challenges you've seen in doing so? Well, 
you know, as uh, Bill mentioned, you know, when you're building an AI system, it requires a combination of meeting the needs of the tech as well as business users. Uh, the overarching consideration, even before starting to design an AI system, is that you should build a system with balance. Uh, this may sound obvious, but too often AI systems are designed around specific aspects of how the team envisions achieving its business goals without understanding the requirements and limitations of the hardware and software that would support the enterprise. The result is a less than optimal, even dysfunctional system that fails to achieve the desired goals. So to achieve this balance, companies need to build in sufficient bandwidth for storage, uh, the graphics processing unit, or GPU, and networking. And then as Joel will uh, mention at some point, security is an oft-overlooked component as well. AI, by its nature, requires access to broad uh, swaths of data to do its job. So make sure that you understand what kinds of data will be involved with the project and that your usual safety security safeguards, which are encryption, VPNs, or virtual private networks and anti-malware, might not always be enough. So similarly, you have to balance how the overall budget is spent to achieve research, the need to protect against power failure and other scenarios through redundancies. You may also need to build in flexibility to allow repurposing of hardware as user requirements change. Jules? Absolutely, and it sounds like a you wanted to pass the baton over to Joel. Do you want to jump in here? Have anything else to add? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, machine learning, um, you know, especially combining AI with ML, will definitely uh, tremendously beef up an organization's cybersecurity controls. The key, I think, is the uh, is for the organization to to have the ability to create customized algorithms and uh, systems to monitor and verify all types of business transactions and network traffic that basically goes through their infrastructure. And if you don't know what's going in and out of your business, it's gonna be hard to identify uh, what's good and bad traffic. So there, there has to be, again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the ability for an organization to establish a baseline of what good and bad traffic is, either network traffic or business traffic. And sometimes that can be a daunting task. And again, with the use of AI and ML, that will really um, help sift through this very tedious task. And then um, again, at the end of that, as again, the key is to be able to create the appropriate response and actions because seeing and monitoring those traffic is just one piece of the action. And um, the ability to be able to tag and risk rate and identify which one is good and bad is key because uh, again, the reporting action uh, for the end users or the automated systems will be key for this AI and ML to be able to deliver and um, take action so that all those systems and even the subject matter experts can take the right uh, steps on taking actions either to uh, defend or just accept and let the transaction proceed as needed. And um, 
John mentioned about the, uh, the existing controls of the organization. I mean, uh, this doesn't mean that AI and ML, you know, the, the, the organizations will have to strip down all their existing security controls. Again, the concept of having uh, the defense in depth will remain and continue. You still have to have a firewall, the, your IPSs and endpoint controls and, and all other security controls that you have. This is just basically complementary to um, an organization. And again, overall, what should bring up and beef up uh, organization cybersecurity posture. Jules? Yeah, and absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. As you know, you've heard me up there at events speaking over and over again that it, it feel like someone says blockchain and they forget, you know, about uh, standard IT infrastructure rules and, and how it works. I mean, that's still going to be in place. And those are some of the um, issues we're trying to address to stimulate the adoption of blockchain. Speaking of blockchain, you know, I want to move to our next segment because this is, uh, I think, my personal favorite and why I'm here. And I think a lot of our listeners as well. Um, let's talk about blockchain. Bill, you've mentioned that Factor Chain is using blockchain infrastructure to deliver supply chain financing. What are some of the primary feature functions that led to using blockchain? Yeah, it's a, it, it's, it's a great um, uh, use case, I think, to, to, to think through, um, you know, because ultimately we want these, this whole system to be automated. So, you, you know, at, at, at some point, you want to be able to almost have this um, running on its own. And, and, and we're not there yet, but that's the, that's the ultimate goal. And I think, you know, when we think of the business process that starts with this risk assessment, and we've talked about the data, we've talked about managing those, oh, there's a whole system around that. But then what's the purpose of that? Well, what we end up with is a, a, an offer or a term sheet for some credit. So that lends itself to then becoming the contract. And that's where the blockchain really starts to shine or, or provide that, that value that really potentially can be done in other ways, but is so much more elegant with a blockchain. So we start to create that central single source of truth. And that's in the contract. So all of the terms and conditions are in that and we're actually storing it off chain but what we're using the blockchain for is the synchronization of the contract with all the other source, all the other pieces of the process. So once we have the contract in place, there's then the monitoring of that contract over time. So it could be the creation of a product. It could be the delivery of that product. It could be um, that there's multiple steps along the way. All of that, can we can use the blockchain and we can use that smart contract as being the single place where we know what the up updated status is. Moving towards settlement, which is not payment, but settlement so that things like, are there any outstanding payments or things around that or penalties that need to be looked after? And then we move into payment and we close off the contract and then you know rent and repeat, go back and, and do another one. So that, that core piece of the blockchain is really filling that need for from the AI driving that into a smart contract. And subsequently, we'll start to be able to expand out and add in things like um, IoT devices. So it may be that a proof of, of delivery triggers a payment or triggers the next step in the contract. Um, there is payments as well. We, we can look at, at crypto payments or cross-border payments. There's a lot of um, efficiencies from that. And then we have things we need to talk about in terms of the supply chain and your partners, which is how is that blockchain governed 
and the digital identity that is that I can trust who it is that's dealing with me on that blockchain. So that's those are the overall, that's where the blockchain comes in, providing us with that infrastructure and the functionality to allow multiple companies to work together. Yeah, very, very strong. And, and I, I recommend everybody do some digging in and researching on, on what Bill was telling you about the true functionality of blockchain and the benefits that, that are there. John, what additional capabilities do you see coming in the future that make blockchain an even more powerful technology within the enterprise? Well, Jules, in addition to the vast array of benefits that blockchain technology promises to usher in with regards to transparency, immutability of data, decentralization of information, and speed and cost efficiency, Blockchain of the future is likely to pioneer a whole new way of economic transactions and contribute to the global economic development immensely. And uh, what Bill just talked about regarding cross-border payments, et cetera, uh, will only become more efficient and more uh, accessible by people as we roll out blockchain and blockchain uh, 4.0. Uh, with time, we can expect common blockchain platforms to interoperate, uh, scale up, become easy to use and access, and be able to readily support trusted private transactions with the data confidentiality that enterprises require. Uh, for blockchain to become mainstream and capable of supporting both transformational and more mundane use cases, users need not worry about selecting the correct platform, uh, the right system interfaces, the right smart contract language, or the appropriate consensus algorithms. Uh, neither will the users be concerned with how they will interoperate with partners that use different blockchain platforms for their projects. That's what we're working on with our single plane of glass we call Overwatch. Uh, to put it simply, the blockchain backend shouldn't matter to users, just like the Internet DNS or TCP IP protocols don't matter to web users. All the web users care about is their web-based applications. All blockchain users will really need to care about in the future is about their decentralized applications and smart contracts. Jules? Definitely. Joel, I, I think this is a good segue. Um, well, we can talk about this all day. <laughs> so talk to us about how, how do you see blockchain impacting organizations with regards to fraud? Oh, that's actually a great question, Jules. Um, given that fraudulent activities like counterfeit or stolen goods are continuing to be a significant problem across the globe. I, I actually just read a report that uh, showed about an estimated $1.8 trillion of total fake values that are sold across the globe. You can just imagine, that's, that's, that's a lot of fake items that is uh, traversing uh, between hands across the globe. So blockchain's inherent security features uh, is a great, actually, it's a great uh, anti-fraud technology by design. Um, one of the key principles of blockchain technology, as we all know, is that it's a tamper-proof record of activities, which means that all the transactions are basically timestamped and verified by all members uh, within the blockchain network. And, and here's another thing. 
once uh, the information is recorded, as we all know with blockchain, uh, the, the record or the information cannot be altered or counterfeited. Um, Bill mentioned that, that, and I think John also did, that it's basically the data is immutable, right? And blockchain technology is, is a positive addition for businesses to actually use it as an owner verification tool, which again leads to the fraud detection aspect, right? Because if we know who the owner is of the transaction, it's verified and proven to be true. And then this ownership information can be stored along with the rest of this transaction in a secure manner. And at the end of the day, this information exchange will is basically um, within the blockchain network. It provides a real-time audit trail for everyone to provide assurance that there's no hanky-panky happening. So, uh, Jules? <laughs> Definitely, no, absolutely. You know, I, I feel like we could go on and on, but I take a look at the clock here. I know we want to keep these things short. We covered a, a lot of great information today. Uh, Bill, we're going to have to have you have you back. I think there's such a thing in these podcasts as uh, too much good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, <laughs> I think that's what we're doing right now. Information overkill, but fantastic information. Bill, thank you for your time today. Great insight and the best of luck with Factor Chain. We're looking forward to um, working with you guys in the future as well. Yeah, we are too, and uh, be happy to come back and we can uh, bring maybe a couple of our other partners and, and expand out on some of these subjects that we touched on today. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds fantastic. And uh, John, as always, buddy, thank you. Hey, another great podcast, Jules, and thank you, Bill, and thank you, Joel. Absolutely. Joel or uh, DJ CISO, as you were known on the circuit. Thanks again, man. All right. Thank you very much. And um, <laughs> thanks to our guest speaker, Bill. And um, as always, my buddy, great. John. <laughs> and to our great audience, as always, we hope that you found this podcast interesting and informative. Please join us again next week as we continue to build the bridge between blockchain technology and the enterprise. Visit our website to learn more or contact us at secureblocktech.com. Have a great week and uh, please reach out with any and all feedback, questions, or desire to join the blockchain revolution. Thanks again, guys. Talk soon.